0: You're listening to the Nightlight Radio Network. This is Dr. Zohara Herodimus, co-host of 21st Century Radio. We are happy to present this rebroadcast of our show on Nightlight. Enjoy. Our guest this hour is a gentleman who has joined us before. His name is Jason Gregory. Jason's new Inner Traditions 2016 release, entitled Enlightenment Now, Liberation is Your True Nature, points out that enlightenment comes from the inside out. The most important mystery that we encounter, Jason writes, is our endeavor to be free in this life, and it is what we seek, but we already possess it. Continuing, he says, the accepted notion of success is to assure that our very existence is wrong and that somehow we need to make it right. The idea he will show us, as he does the readers of his work, is that we already possess enlightenment. This is not generally accepted among most people or traditions. And so I ask, is it really that simple? Is it possible for each of us, all of us, to find peace within and there for each of us, all of us, to help manifest that peace in the world? Join us for a wonderful and compelling journey through the landscapes within us now. Thank you for rejoining us, Jason.
1: It's great to be on, Sahara. Um, Always a pleasure to speak to you.
0: You know, of course, you upset many apple carts of spiritual disciplines in the world tradition with this book, which is one of the reasons I loved it. I'm going, oh, my God, this guy writes exactly what I think. (laughs) (laughs) So let's begin where you did, because you know, you don't come to this awareness by just sort of sitting down and studying traditions and thinking about it and then writing a book. So How did you find that the path itself was the journey and that tools are not the journey itself?
1: (laughs) Well, it took took obviously a long time to to realize that basically. So um, like yourself, probably as well, though. But, um, you know, basically, you know, some of my core teachings that I've followed for a long time have been mainly Zen Buddhism and uh, Advaita Vedanta in, in India. And and both of those traditions actually always speak about, you know, in Zen they always speak about like we're all we're always being in Nirvana but we don't realise it and and so forth and so on and in Advaita Vedanta they they always tell you to give up the search you know the search of striving and and so forth and so on because they from their opinion you know we already have it whatever that may be the the enlightenment we are seeking you know so we already have it but the problem is is our search for it and. Um, the further we go out into the world, um, striving for success, striving for um, spiritual enlightenment, striving for whatever, is always getting away from um, our true nature where we already are. So it's it's basically about coming back into that realization that we already have it. So for me personally, um, I haven't really lived in, I I would say, a a Western society for a long time, Um, probably five years now, but... Over the last 10 years, probably only a few years, I've been in Western society and I've mainly been living in Asia. And so I've been around a lot of teachers, a lot of people practicing these, um, this, this type of philosophy and you know, actually applying it to their lives to see if there's any truth to it. So you know, me, uh, I, I've always been pretty uh, curious about everything. So I, I did it as well. I've, I've applied it to my own life. And I've seen the benefits in my own life, and I've seen the the truth in it. Actually, um, you know, you can just if you, if the listener looks at it, you know, just basically, if you if you leave your familiar environment, and you put yourself in a different environment, um, with nothing to do, completely nothing to do. What you'll feel is your complete, your whole nervous system will begin to relax. Your mind will begin to come back down to the ground. More, more of the root level where you're not overthinking about the tasks that you have to do today, and and this and that, and then you'll you you start to feel this all-encompassing sort of peace within yourself that not even in the in the external world you, you're not that disturbed by distractions or by whatever whatever may come your way. So, you know, it's it's as simple as that for me. Like I've been away from um, my familiar environment, which is Australia, for. A long time and I've been in places like Tiruvannamalai in India or up in the Himalayas in Nepal and been disconnected from society and have realized this but again it's you have to eventually come back to society and also live live it from that perspective as well so mm-hmm. that's also the challenge but yeah, exactly that's, that's, how, it, that's, that's exact- how I sort of came to it
0: well and, and I, what I like so I mean It's so interesting because we talked earlier with Joseph Emmett, who wrote Finding the Blue Sky, and he also is a teacher of Zen Buddhism in the Dharma way of Thich Nhat Hanh's tradition. And so I read both of your books, and his first and then yours, and it was really thrilling Mm -hmm. because his work is focused, this particular book on that happiness and that we can cultivate happiness, and through cultivating this, we can cultivate peace, both peace within and then obviously peace in the world and then I read your book and of course you throw it all to the wind but that's after having done it all before it went back to the wind and and so it's it's kind of like you know sometimes if 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 one hasn't done the long work of self-refinement and self-cultivation and um It just sounds like a bunch of words like, oh, yeah, you can be happy. Oh, sure. You can have peace. And and then, like you said, and I always joke, it takes no effort. It was just the 30 years of preparation. (laughs) There's no work at all. Okay, so you point out some really beautiful, I think, tripping points that our civilization is subject to. And this is one of the ways our, our godliness, our divinity, our... Our innate enlightenment capacity has been veiled, and one of them has to do with time. Mm. So, share with us this perspective of linear versus non-linearity of time.
1: It's a good point, especially it's it's a good point when you consider Zoe, when you consider the differences of Western and Eastern thought in general. Like mm-hmm. um, when we go back into history, um, when we see the, for example, the evolution of. Uh, Greek civilization and Chinese civilization. Um, there's a distinct focus on uh, different uh, different focuses on, you know, for the, for the Greeks, for example, they'll focus on individuality, which was just a result of the environment, and 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 with China, it was a focus on um, collectivism, more about more of a holistic um, view because um, because the the environment dictated those terms took towards them. You know, they were in the yellow the Yellow River Valley area of China. And you needed large populations of people to cultivate rice and so forth and so on. Um, So what this leads into is that um, the Chinese, the East, not just China, but the East always had a perspective of um, everything, you know, takes a long time. Everything is a process um, either towards something or it's just a process in itself. You know, we're not going out trying to seek individual achievements or individual success. We're just doing what is required of us in that present day you could say so i'm not saying that all of their philosophy came from this sort of holistic thing but um what you always saw in east even if you go into india or southeast asia is that they see the world that there is no sort of beginning or end they see that everything is is just process so it doesn't matter um you know, it, it does matter in a sense that you know, if you want to succeed at something like, for example, I, I set out to write a book. Of course, I want to complete the book. Um, but what do you resonate more with? Do you resonate more with the process or the achievement of getting it published and so forth and so on? There's nothing wrong with that. You, know, you, can, you can take both as well, which is what I choose to do. But um, from the Eastern perspective, the, the, the point of the whole exercise is the process. So this is why when you go into China or Japan, and they, they train you in calligraphy, for example. Calligraphy is just about trying to disengage your mind from thinking about achievements and beginnings and end and just be in the process of having what they would call a, a, an effortless mind. So having a mind that's not stuck, that's just in the motion or you know, as Mihai Chiksumai would say, in the flow of the immediate moment um, where basically your mind has converged with nature, um, which is what um, the Chinese probably would say. And so yeah this goes way back um like what we said like and this goes into enlightenment so when we look at enlightenment um when we look at it from our so say, say if we look at it from our own western mind when the west was introduced to the east for example the notion of enlightenment was there especially in Buddhism and Hinduism and so people thought well how how can i get this you know cause, and then enlightenment becomes this goal this achievement that we we need to um, strive to succeed whereas you know in the in the heart of a lot of the the buddhist tradition and the hindu tradition is that we have to sort of get away from that way of thinking that way of thinking has actually eclipsed the enlightenment that we already have so we have to re, almost retrain our, our, our perception to see that that the, that life itself is just process even even our lives though, um you know i i can see my life as being born and dying in the physical sphere but from the eastern perspective everything is processed and then once that process is finished and well i shouldn't say finished but when that process is sort of um reached its pinnacle it 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 moves on to another process and then and this is how they they have the the concepts of reincarnation and so forth and so on so Mm -hmm. you know these are the the ideas but again it's about training our mind to think in terms of process rather than beginning and end. So always having the, the holistic view, the, the, the big picture in mind instead of the small picture.
0: You mm-hmm. know? And and then there was another component, and I thought it was just a brilliant insight. You were talking about monarchical consciousness mm. um, and that we have this within ourselves and, and this whole notion of hierarchical realities. Describe for us why this Impinges basically on each of us um, experiencing this enlightenment
1: it 's a good point yeah well basically and it's not it, this is a this is a not just a, a western problem it 's also an Eastern problem as well, where we find uh, sort of the mon- we have a monarchical sort of perspective of um, the world, the universe we could say, and this goes back into um, Darius the I in Persia where You know, we had an epoch of time where you had Pythagoras, um, Pythagoras in Greece. We had um, Lao Tzu and Confucius in China. We had Gautama the Buddha in India, and all of these individuals were sort of um, under the same agreement in in certain terms about how the universe is, about um, its connectivity, about its sort of unified perspective, um, about how it's sort of the, the universe is an organic structure. Not something that's created or or made, and then you have Darius the First in that same epoch, who came out of nowhere, um, who brought in the King of Kings tradition, which is basically that um, the universe ha- has a particular God. that he Darius turned God itself into a lord, into mm-hmm. a ruler, into a ruler. So then um, we had, from that perspective, then that infiltrated into all society, into a, even our our the fabric of the way that an individual thinks. And this became uh, an aspect of, obviously, Christianity and Islam, um, Judaism to some extent. And also, you know, in some of the um, Hindu traditions, you see the the idea of the the creator God, the the ruler, the all ruler, the almighty. And, you know, you can see some benefit in this from a spiritual perspective. But um, what happens then is that you take our naturalness away from us and you, you build sort of a, a a monarchical structure you know in the Tao Te Ching they say um, the Tao um, um, the Tao does not lord it over anything but it loves and nourishes all so it's nature itself is organic and we are a part of it we're not separate from it so what happens when we have a monarchical view we, we are then subject to a king so this is a problem when we're subject to a king then our whole thought structure, it goes away from the way nature actually is, basically away from how our mind actually functions. And we start to think then in terms of levels and layers and how we need to reach certain um, certain things in life based on, on, on this monarchical view. So then that is obviously superimposed over into enlightenment. So then we start to think enlightenment is something... Um, in levels and layers that we need to reach to succeed this certain goal, and this comes I think from the the deep deeply entrenched um, hypnosis of the monarchical view because you know before Darius I, even in um, in a lot of the traditions back then, there was not the idea that God was an almighty ruler though I, to be sure, there is um, some research that says that Sigmund Freud. Um, he suggests that uh, Akhenaten actually brought in the idea of the um, the ruler god. So basically, he he thinks that Akhenaten was the first to to ch- turn the universe into what what you could basically say is a political analogy. So
0: and, well, one um, of the things I find so we have to take a break and we'll come back and talk about this more thoroughly because there aren't many people thinking about. Enlightenment in this way. I mean, your your book is just splendid. Enlightenment Now, Liberation is Your True Nature by Jason Gregory, a 2016 Inner Traditions Bear and Company releases. And we'll come back and talk about this, is that our submission to rule you comment, annihilates the freedom that is innately ours. And you just speak to my heart. (laughs) It's like, oh my God, somebody else gets it. And then when I found out I've been writing about the white spirit animals and I've never been like a real student of Buddhism. I've always been an appreciator of Buddhism. And I was reading because of my writing on the elephants uh, about Buddha. And in the Lotus Sutra, I didn't realize that the Buddha's last teaching in his life was telling people you know, not to follow a teacher and bless him, you know, and that's not to say one doesn't have teachers, but following a teacher and having a teacher are very different things. We'll be right back. Jason Gregory is our guest. Learn more at his website, www.jason, J-A-S-O-N Gregory, dot org And the book entitled Enlightenment Now, Liberation is Your True Nature. Hello, I
1: am Amit Goswami, author of The self universe and How Quantum Activism Can Save Civilization. And we're listening to 21st Century Radio with Zohara Animas. It's a wonderful show of the new paradigms that is going on right now.
0: Our guest is Jason Gregory. His book is entitled Enlightenment Now, Liberation is Your True Nature, an Inner Traditions 2016 release. So you explained that Religion, and I love this statement. Religion treats enlightenment the way science treats matter. I mean, it's it's a really beautiful analogy. You know, rather than jumping to its conclusion, let's come back to this submission to rule, because we have a very um, submissive society, even though people think they're radically free. Um, and and certainly, there might be ways in which we exhibit. Some sense of freedom, but this notion that there's authority and authority over us, and they tell us what to believe, and we're supposed to believe it even if we don't. And when children challenge it, they get punished. Um, And if you challenge authority, you'll be punished in hell or afterlife or whatever it is. There's all these um, stumbling blocks of what I really think of as mind control. I don't know any other way to put it. Because if you go to the school of self experience, and the school of self-proving and the school of self-refinement and, and the school of, you know, self-observation, you find a whole other story. Yeah. And a totally different kind of life experience.
1: Exactly, exactly. Well, so like anything to do with our, you know, with our liberation, you know, on a spiritual level, like when we have, you know, like what we were talking about before, when we have the monarchical view, we start to think about, um, Everything in the sense of we have to appease a ruler. Um, we have to appease, you know, and that, and that goes down into education where we have to appease our teacher, then our parents, and then onto our jobs and so forth and so on. So I'm not saying that, that you shouldn't do what your parents are saying, but it becomes so deeply entrenched that when we when we seek to be free in this life, when we want to be completely free in this life, a lot of people... Their traditions, their way of seeing the world, is what actually stands in their way. Actually, and it's so difficult for people to 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 eliminate that. Like I was speaking to a American friend, and an American friend was really concerned about the the, the current election and, and so forth and so on, and and but they kind of came to me with you know like that they wanted to be free of the the American what could you say, the the American conditioning, the American control, but they didn't know steps or or methods or paths to to eliminate that, to transcend that. And I was kind of saying, like, you don't have to, in a sense, transcend it, but you need to understand it on a deeper level that America itself shouldn't be seen, that the idea of America shouldn't be seen as a dictator over you. It shouldn't be seen as the, the, the ruler over you. You need to see it with more clear vision. And... So then it comes back to: Can we get rid of the hypnosis that I'm Australian, that Zoe is American, that the guy down the street is Catholic, and so forth and so on? And and we can do that, but we don't have to. Again, we don't have to eliminate the the label itself. We just need to retrain our mind to to know that these are just subjective viewpoints. These are just term, just just uh, English terminology to define certain characteristics or certain people that we've all agreed upon. So. You know, this goes over into enlightenment where we've got the the, the law of God bound to scripture, um, which creates all sorts of dogmas and psychosis within us. And so we need to eliminate that. And so we need to understand then, as I talk about in the book, that the map itself is, is not the territory. And this is, again, a big thing that we've all misunderstood, even on a nationalistic level. Like when we look at, say, if I say Australia or America... We get a, We become patriotic and associated with the label when the map is about the 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 terrain of that map of a nationalistic map is about how we can live as one community. That's what it's about. So when we look at the map of religion, which is doctrine, it's about how we can have a relationship with spirit, with um with with God, basically, and and with each other. And so most of us are confusing. Um, the map with the territory. And and we see this with the wars between the Christian and um, Muslim world. We see this between nationalistic wars and so forth and so on. So we need to, you know, retrain our mind to understand that the map is not the territory. And, you know, you need a good map. You need a good, um, like you said before, what I liked what you said before before the break, so was about, you know, teachers. It's good to have teachers, but we need to remember that in the end, the teacher needs to—you need to let go of the teacher—and mm-hmm. like what Buddha spoke about in the in the Lotus Sutra. And this is what you know. A lot of you probably know this as well. A lot of gurus, in especially in India and Western gurus, who have popped up around the world, they really want just disciples. They want people followers. And when someone steps out of line, or when, when someone questions the guru, they usually get just get thrown out of the out of the group. Of you know, course. It becomes – it becomes very cultish at that level. Well, it happens
0: in, in, you know, mosques, it happens in churches, it happens in synagogues, it happens when somebody falls out of the basic precepts. Um, And I'm not talking about behavior, because as I always say, well, I don't really care who you are, or what you believe, or what you've studied, I care about your behavior. You know, and because that's what I'm trying to do in my own development, my, and I've discovered that, of course, the inner work is much harder work than doing this or that in the world or this or that for this person or this or that project. I mean, those are all wonderful things to be of service in the world, but it's, the truth really is it's not as much what you do, but how you do what you do. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and 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 it's really true. But our culture doesn't teach us that. You know, they teach us the most obnoxious people win, the most (laughs) foul-mouthed people are listened to, the most ridiculous candidate can come before the public who has nothing to offer other than, you know, TV reality show culture. And people are hypnotized into thinking that this is actually substantial.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And and like, (laughs) yeah, we, we... like uh, we we could talk a lot about the presidential candidacy. Oh God, but we won't let's touch not. That, we we'll won't both get in one. trouble.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> and I'm a registered libertarian, so we already yeah. know about me. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Well, it, you know, and, and like what we were speaking about the, the monarchical view. Like when we look at a teacher, it can become very monarchical. You know, mm-hmm. like a, a guru then assumes this role as the as the Lord, as as almost like a spokesman of God, mm-hmm. without. Without considering that we are all, in 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 a sense, we're all an aspect of that, you know, one source, whatever yes. you want to call it. Yes. So a guru loses sight of this, and then I've been around many gurus, and it, it's interesting when you when you have them one on one. You know, it's very casual mm-hmm. the, the conversation. It's very, you know, it's it's enlightening. You're talking just freely with them. You could be talking about, you know, a, a car, yeah. a car for example, something unrelated. And then once their disciples and their followers come around, they they begin to. Uh, Assume this different persona. Their their shoulders sort of go back a bit. They stand up straighter, and um, they begin to speak more as if they're on a cloud. And you know, it's very it's it's not real in some sense. A lot of a lot of what's going on in the, in the spiritual world, especially around gurus and so forth and so on. I could mention a few, but I won't. No, um,
0: <laughs> we don't want you to. <laughs> no, no,
1: but um, the, the whole the whole idea is that you know, as Buddhists buddha states is that you know that you know the teaching is good you can follow a teaching for example but how, how are you how are you associating towards that teaching are, are you um be a throwing adulation towards the actual teacher or are you following what the teaching is saying you know we see this with all religions we see this with all people who follow a certain guru so in the end um what we know from the ancient east is that once you've once, when when you used to go into an ashram, for example, in India, they used to say, for example, you needed to stay for twelve years under under the um, right, right. Uh, under the care of a guru. But then, most good gurus, if they noticed that, say, if Zoe was already becoming free and she was looked like she could enter back into the world and not be swayed by this and that, but could end up you know, being a, a positive influence for society, they would tell you just to leave. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's it's time for you to leave. You're hanging on now to the guru. So it's time for you to leave and and go out into the world because it's, it's pointless for you saying, here, you're just becoming a, a spiritual tourist under my care, you know. so um, But that's been lost now in the world. And everyone wants to cling to everything. Everyone wants to hold on to everything. And people, this comes about by looking at the world in the sense of monarchy. Like we look at... God is a father who cares for us, um, who takes care of us, who's going to provide us with food or provide us with a positive experience.
0: Or punish us, rain rain down on us with fire and brimstone.
1: Yeah, (laughs) exactly. So... So yeah, we... so
0: coming back though to this this innate enlightenment that we already have and that the pursuit of it gets in the way of actually experiencing it because we're chasing it like something outside ourselves that's so ahead mm-hmm. in time. So we get stuck in this notion that it's somewhere ahead that it's in the future, and if it's not tomorrow, maybe it's in the afterlife, uh, mm-hmm. when in fact that's the work of being human and incarnating, is to really come into self, at least it's my perspective and my life experience, that that the al- ultimate charge, other than being of service while you're here, is self-mastery. And I don't mean this through you know doing horrible things to yourself rather than expecting of yourself proper conduct, you know, kindness and generosity and forgiveness and hope and faith. And that doesn't mean that you don't have anger and use it appropriately, like, you know, the boundary of a river to keep the water from flooding. Mm. But, but, I all, but I generally find that so many teachings um, are about it being somewhere else that you get by doing something else for someone else who will tell you what to do.
1: Yeah, well that's like you know what I speak about in the book and 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 why the title is called enlightenment now is um it's all in the present. So for example, you know if we're looking in the future for something for for enlightenment for example or which is usually based on our past experiences the way we look into the future. Um but when the, the way that the east look at it and, and in some western es- esoteric circles is that Eternity, if we look at eternity, for example, eternity is not something within the realm of time because it's eternal. It has to be, in some sense, outside of the realm of time but within it. So this is the idea of nirvana is samsara, samsara is nirvana in Mahayana Buddhism. So the idea is that you know a lot of us think that we are going to travel to... I mean, at the end of death, we are going to travel to the heavens or to uh, to heaven, if you're a Christian, um, and that's where you'll be in the bliss of, of God, bliss of the eternal realm and so forth and so on. And I like what Joseph Campbell once said. He said, if, if you don't get it now, you'll never get it. So he, he didn't even meant that. He meant that in a sense from even at death, you'll never get it. So um, he, what, what he meant was that eternity is, where, is the realm where time and thinking cut out. So, and the only realm where time and thinking cut out is in this present moment and basically as we live our life as you said towards mastery towards self actualization is the more we come into resonance with that present moment the more we bring our attention back into the present moment and that can be with anything too i mean that can be within meditation that can be within if you put your f- attention into a fo- focal point of creativity which allows your mind to be effortless for a, for a certain amount of time all of these things begin to cultivate that more of that awareness of that sense of unity that we that we have deep within us. Mm-hmm. So you know, a lot of people call that oneness, but it's a it's a real sense of unity. So it's kind of a feeling that everything is one. It's not kind of like you you, you know, you're dancing around singing kumbaya, everything is one. It's it's much <laughs> it's much different to that. You know, it's kind of a, it's a it's a state of consciousness. And By the way, I, I used a, to
0: love singing that song, Kumbaya, <laughs> my lord, Kumbaya. <laughs> I think everybody
1: did once upon a time. It's more of a, like what Sadhguru said, it's more of a meditative state. Like, it's not that you're in a state of meditation. Your consciousness is more in a meditative state where you're more present. So, you're more present in conversations. You're more present in listening to people. You're more present in eating food. You're more present in going for a walk down the street. More present in organizing the interviews for your show. So forth and so on, you, you have mm-hmm. a tremendous amount of presence, and it 's interesting there 's a lot of literature out there now that says that presence is one of the key aspects of uh, charisma actually mm-hmm. so when you when you look at charismatic people, charismatic people have a tremendous ability to be to be very present with with everybody with mm-hmm. most people, yeah, yeah, of, it, yeah, it, people are, it, go ahead I was going to say a lot of people are put off by it because usually people uh, are in normal conversations where Everyone's waiting for their next term to speak. So it and and when someone's sitting there when their eyes are very glued at you and they're very present, that can be very intimidating for a lot of people.
0: Mm-hmm. But yeah, but it really comes say. down to attention, and that's why I. It's such a beautiful thing to watch Buddhism, whether it's Mahayana Buddhism or any other kind, come into complete alignment with um, historically with the very present understanding of the science of consciousness and light, and that this notion of attention is not just like yeah, guys, you got to pay attention if you want to get anywhere. It's really the key and intention. So we have these two very basic. Um, words that are often passed by as just being descriptive of something that we do occasionally. Oh, yeah, I paid attention to what my husband said. Oh, yeah, I intend to go shopping tomorrow. Versus appreciating that those are really the keys to this sense of peace and being present. Because it's... I like the way the physicists I've interviewed over the years have talked about it. When they, when they speak to... Um, when we pay attention we allow what universe is present to pop out at us. And if our intention is to find the answer to a challenge, whether it's internal or external, personal or global, you know, local or national, then we pay attention to what happens in our life. And I'll just give a really short example of driving on the highway and seeing a woman who's car is getting a flat tire. And I'm with this other driver, and we're both commenting, oh my God, she's going she's gonna to have a flat. We have to get her attention and tell her, which we tried to do, and she wasn't really pay attention. And then we comment, well, when you're going to get a flat, you definitely know it, right? And we both going, yeah. And then all of a sudden, I'm in this car, and a light comes on, and we look up real fast what it is. And I said, oh my God, it's a low tire pressure. So we immediately got off the highway. And as soon as we got off, we had a flat tire. So here was we're talking about compassionately, looking out for this other woman who whose attention we couldn't get. And universe is saying, pay attention to your tire. <laughs> so that that's what I mean by attention and intention. And you point out that this monarchical point of view that we were talking about earlier is an internal experience as well. So our ego will govern the body and not listen to the body's needs. And that's we all know about personally.
1: Exactly. And, and And that's one of the the big tricks. Um, a lot of us uh, especially become disassociated with the body because of that reason too. Um, a lot of people don't you know they don't look at their like you said with the flat tire, people will not look at their health and they they might have something wrong with their health, for example, but the ego will again either you know choose to ignore it or pretend it's something that's not worth you know at- attention or, mm-hmm. or care. And so we have this, this monarchical split within us as well. So we have a body that has a nervous system that has a natural expression coming through it from the universe, but we have also have this this ego that we all have, this persona system that we find in the uh, prefrontal cortex of the brain where we can discern between this and that and we overly identify that with with that without letting a lot of things naturally come about into the world. So. Then we have a split within in our mind between mm-hmm. between the ego and the body. Or, and then it's or, like or this
0: just... little mini inner war. and it's almost as if you know we could learn to respect the vessel that the soul is in and that it's how we have these experiences, our our culture, all of us, the world would be a lot better. We have to take a brief break. Our guest is Jason Gregory. His wonderful new book, Enlightenment Now, Liberation is Your True Nature for All Free Seekers, no matter what discipline you come from or tradition you've been in, I think you'll find it extraordinarily liberating. Hi, this is Dr. Eric Pearl, author of The Reconnection, Heal Others, Heal Yourself, and founder of Reconnective Healing. You can learn more about us at www.thereconnection.com, and you are listening to 21st Century Radio with Dr. Zoe Hieronymus. So I love the fact in your book you talked about Kabbalion, which is one of my favorite books, Hermetic Philosophy, because it really puts together the fundamentals of what I would say are shared by all traditions on planet Earth who understand that each of us is an element of the divine. And one of them um, you talk about is mentalism. Another is the principle of correspondence. And the other, the principle of vibration and the principle of rhythm. I mean, these are very fundamental realities that get um, often overlooked. Share with us why you've included these and why they're important.
1: Exactly. Well, when you look at uh, the Hermetic philosophy, it's you know you could almost it almost goes exactly the same as like if you look at Taoism. Like Taoism, they don't use specific laws, but they think about it in similar way. So, and again, you need to think about these laws in a certain sense to build a, a framework of of how the universe actually you know conducts itself mm-hmm. and how and how, <laughs> and how you do as well. So. These are basic, especially when you're talking about um, enlightenment. Because when you talk about enlightenment, I talk a lot about in the book in, about um, enlightened attunement. So um, what that means is attuning um, your consciousness to... Um, I know I talk about levels and, and states and that in the book, but attuning your, your consciousness to a higher state. So that means, again, um, not allowing your... For example, not allowing your attention to be caught in too much detail too much um, too much noise in the world, which again when you refrain from that and you bring and you bring your consciousness you become sovereign over your consciousness and bring it back within then you begin to see reality more clearly at at a higher perspective so um, and this corresponds to to rhythm um the law of rhythm when when you when you have sort of refrain from allowing your attention to be caught in a detail, you notice that there is a certain rhythm, not only in the world, but in your own life, that you can continue to follow peacefully. And it'll take you, it's kind of like the Taoist view of um, the Taoist sort of taking you down the river to the to the ocean if you don't resist it. You know, if you resist it then you begin to drown. And we basically have a culture and a society that is continually resisting their own life, resisting their life circumstances and And suffering accordingly, you know it doesn't mean we we you don't resist all the time. if someone is trying to take advantage of you it's it's probably best to say to um to say something to them instead of just let them walk all over you so um, there are so many reasons that that they are are important to understand you know the law of correspondence basically is the the understanding of as above so below. So meaning that um, the big picture is actually a reflection of the small picture and vice versa, and we ourselves are the small picture. So the more we...
0: But um, the big picture is in us.
1: The big picture is in us, exactly. Well said so. So, and when we understand that, that the big picture is within us, then we, we begin to, um, in, in some sense, act from that place. So we act from that. Um, in, in the East, they would say that's kind of like a non-dual, Perception, and uh, this is the essence of non-dualism, in, in especially in, in Vedanta and in Mahayana Buddhism, especially Zen Buddhism, there is an element of non-dualism where, if you take your perception up to, if you refine it and you attune your perception, you begin to realize that the that to use Sanskrit terminology, that the Atman, which is um, the, the true self, your true self, which is undifferentiated consciousness is identical with brahman which is the ultimate reality of the universe within everything so um and you're a mirror of that you are that and it's an ability of trying to resonate with that more that's the predicament for uh, for all of the mystics that had lived in the east and and in the west i believe too mm-hmm. in some traditions that it's that's the the main goal is to come into harmony with that within yourself more and then when you begin to do that then your life starts to take a certain shape it starts to go its own way it doesn't mean you drop off and become a sadhu and live on the street it can mean that but it can also mean that you live your life in accordance with whatever you resonate with peacefully and you just you you live your life you know with with no friction no suffering and so a lot of these laws are—they uh, go and there, there is a lot of depth to the laws, but they are very important to understand uh, if anyone yeah. wants to.
0: And 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 I agree. You know, people have said sometime that I sound dismissive of all traditions, and I'm—that's not really the point. The <laughs> traditions are tools, but they're not yeah. the answer, and they're—they're they're not the inner arrival. The inner arrival is where you're headed. It's not out there, and someone's not going to give it to you, and you can't buy it. The only way to get it is to do it and to practice within ourselves. And and that's really the truth. And unfortunately, you know, people are told, well, you come to this workshop and you spend $5,000. You're going to go home, you know, a saint. (laughs) Well, that's terrific. But that's not something anybody can give you. Just like nobody can give you freedom. They can take it away. We humans can take other people's freedom away. Mm. But the only way to really arrive at freedom, it's a very personal arrival. Mm. Um, and, you know, and I, and I thought there was this um, really lovely thing you said, which is common also in the Hasidic tradition of Judaism, which I've been a student of for so long in my life, is this and that, you know, our culture is so dualistic that it always wants us to choose, you know, between this party and that party, this, uh, this, um, this car and that car, um, you know, it's always this or that. But the truth is, it's always this and that. And that's very Zen as well, you know, as you write to, you write to this point. It's it's to get to the point where, and I like the way my teacher in Torah used to say it, is whether it's somebody offends you or praises you, your response won't be any different. Whether you're meeting with a pauper or a king, it doesn't make any difference, and and all of these things you know when you hear them when you're younger you go that is just so much talk <laughs> you know <laughs> it's just a bunch of words but yeah. then when you actually start to live these things as you get older and you've gone through the misery of your own great effort <laughs> and yeah. then relax a bit around just looking at your behavior that's at least my feeling and my experience then you can embody these things and then they're no longer just words they're experiences share with us though your perception on this and that
1: i like how you brought that up so it, it and i like how you said you know when you start to look at yourself that's when you start to see these as living realities you know a lot of us you know especially like you said when we were children we discount it because it does seem like a lot of word play but um yeah, when you look at this and that, like, for example, you know, a lot of – in the East, there's always the talk about the, the game of black and white. So the game of black and white is basically the game of this and that. So good and bad, right and wrong, um, white man, black man. You know, we, how far do we want to go with this, this and that category? And the problem is, is um, as Zhuangzi points out, he points out in um, the, the text, you know, with his name, Zhuangzi, is that reality itself is impartial, basically meaning that our opinions of this and that are, are based on our opinions, are based on our subjective viewpoint. So, and if, that, if it's based on our subjective viewpoint, then who's this and that is right or wrong? So, is Zoe right or am I right? Or are we both wrong? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, and in the East, they, they always focus on that we should be trying to refine this this and that aspect of ourselves, we should be trying to almost eliminate it. You know, in, in Sanskrit they have the term vivika, and vivika means discrimination or discernment. And vivika can, they say, eclipse th- this impartial, non-dual reality where we see things as they are instead of how we think they should be. So when we're sitting around going, oh, this is that way, that is this way, and so forth and so on, then we are causing We're not only hypnotizing ourselves, but we're not seeing reality for what it is.
0: So I'm going to close the evening with, this is our time to say goodbye, and that is the truth. (laughs) (laughs) Jason Gregory, thank you so much for being with us. Enlightenment Now, Liberation is Your True Nature, Inner Traditions 2016, www.jasongregory.org. 21st Century Radio is produced by Hieronymus and Company. Our executive producer and research assistant is Laura Kortner. Our engineer is Noah Dankner. I'm Dr. Zohar Hieronymus, and we hope you enjoyed the show.